Welcome back to another episode of Ramiumptum Ruminations. I'm the host, Scott. Today's episode is called Spiritual Bypassing and You. <laughs> Today I want to discuss a concept that all of us are aware of or have experienced within a religious setting, specifically in the Mormon church, but this applies to other religions. It also applies to emotions and relationships, and it's the concept of bypassing. When it's not in a religious setting, it's, it's referred to as emotional bypassing. When it's in co- the context of religion, it's called spiritual bypassing. So I'm going to list a few examples of spiritual bypassing and emotional bypassing and how this is this is the root of some of the unhealthy relationships and unhealthy emotional coping mechanisms that we develop in the Mormon church. The first one I want to talk about is something when something bad happens in your life, whether it's the car breaking down to losing a loved one, the church frames this as a trial or a hardship. And here are some of the phrases that they can say, that people will say to you, that are emotionally and spiritually bypassing. They'll say, it was for the best, or it was a blessing in disguise, or we'll send you our thoughts and prayers, or everything happens for a reason. And one of the things to consider when someone talks like this And when we talk like this in our own discourse with our loved ones, is is that comment really helping? What does it do for you to say to someone or have someone say to you, oh, this trial, it's a blessing in disguise? What does that do emotionally? One of the factors of emotional bypassing is, is phrases such as this, they minimize the emotions of the individual suffering from whatever experience they've gone through. It's a way of distancing them from the emotions and the hurt that they are feeling. When you say to someone, oh, thoughts and prayers, or or when you say to someone, oh, I will pray for you, or I'll put your name in the temple roll, because that's going to do so much good. But it really doesn't. All that does is say, I have nothing to say to you, but I'll pray for you. It denies the emotions of the person going through a hard time and forces them to distance themselves from their emotions. That isn't to say that it's, that it's not okay to, to think about someone or pray about someone if you believe in such things. But these practices and these phrases in regards to religion are often found in religions that propose a prosperity gospel where there is an implicit understanding that worthiness will lead to happiness all the time. And so so emotional bypassing is is a natural extension of a prosperity gospel because the the things that emotional bypassing encourages it encourage it encourages people to avoid feelings of anger, avoid feelings of sadness. 
It encourages people to believe that every experience in this life is a learning experience so that there is some sort of positive spin on every bad thing that happens to us. It, it creates this, this unattainable idealism of what it is to be a person. One of the other harmful aspects of it is it forces people to focus on, on their spirituality and the context of their their trials through a spiritual lens instead of being present with their emotions. We see this in the Mormon church where people that go to regular meetings and, and interact with each other, there's this, there's this facade where everyone is wearing a mask and nobody actually shows their real feelings. They don't show the, the real problems and trials that they're going through because they have been taught to avoid those feelings and to avoid discoursing about those feelings. This, this concept of spiritual bypassing is, is a way of brushing problems aside so that we can feel better in the short term. But it does not solve anything. It does not address the real emotions, the raw feelings that everyone goes through when something bad happens to them. As I was going through the deconstruction process of my religious ideas and beliefs, during that process, after I had deconstructed most of Christianity in my head, a loved one of my spouse passed away. And we went to the funeral and interacted with all of the people that were grieving there. And the reason I bring this up is because one of the phrases that is emotionally bypassing is very common in Christianity. And Mormonism is not excluded from this idea. It's the phrase that everyone has heard when someone passes away. As I was, as I was sitting in this funeral and listening to the services and the, the wonderful eulogy, the phrase kept coming up over and over as people were discussing the death of their loved one. They were very sad that this person had passed away. But they, they kept saying phrases like, I know I'll see him again someday. Or, he's in heaven now. Or, they're in a better place. Or, this was all part of God's plan. Now, I don't think there's inherently anything wrong with believing these things. But let's, let's examine what's happening when someone talks like this. Let's say, for example, we all have lost someone in our lives. Perhaps someone that's, that's younger hasn't experienced this sort of a loss yet, but we all go through this where the loved ones around us will pass away and they will die. And in this life, regardless if you believe in an afterlife or not, after this person passes away, you have to live the rest of your life without that person. And that is a hard emotion to deal with. But what good does it do to say, oh, you'll see them again someday? Oh, this loved one, they're in heaven now. There's nothing inherently wrong with saying these things, and they can be comforting for a time. But it inhibits the grieving process of the individual who now has to deal with the fact that they will never see their mother or father or spouse or child or brother or best friend ever again in this life. 
I think there's an interesting irony when these phrases come up within Mormonism, because we don't actually believe that. In the Mormon theology, after you die, you go to either spirit prison or spirit heaven, and they will live in this spirit prison or spirit heaven until the resurrection, after which point a thousand years will pass and there will be a final judgment, and then they will either be allowed to enter heaven or not. And this concept of heaven, there's all, it's a little bit more complex in, in Mormonism as well, but for the purposes of, of this, I just want to say it's ironic that people say, oh, they're in heaven now, they're with God. But that's not actually what Mormons believe. I've just always found that phrase funny within the Mormon context of, of a funeral. Now, I want to share an example from a book that I love by Ernest Hemingway that's a really interesting example of emotional bypassing. Now, the book that I'm going to reference is called The Sun Also Rises. It was Hemingway's first novel, and it is a, a masterpiece of emotional trauma. Although when I read the book, I didn't actually enjoy reading it as much as I enjoyed thinking about it after I read it. I find some of my favorite books are that way, where the, the actual reading process is, is almost a slog because of the, the terrible decisions or realities that these people live through. But afterwards, in contemplating the choices the character makes or the phrases that they say, it offers valid insight into the world that we all live in. So some brief context for this, for those that, that have not read it. The Sun Also Rises follows a number of expatriates living in Europe after the Great War. It wasn't, the, it wasn't called World War I yet because Hemingway had written it in between World War I and World War II. So it was, it's referred to at this time as the Great War. Before I read the quote, I'll, I'll introduce these two, these two characters and a little bit of context about what's happening between them. The main character, his name is Jake, and during the Great War, he suffered an unmentioned accident that left him impotent. And this becomes a barrier to him having an emotional relationship with the woman that he loves, Ashley. Brett Ashley is the woman in the story that Jake is in love with. And throughout the story, they travel together and go and see bullfights throughout Spain and he pines over her. And they are what you might call, they are very close, almost best friends. But they do not ever have a relationship, even though they both love each other. This, this injury that, that Jake has prevents them from getting together. But Jake still loves her, and he actually sets her up with someone in the story, trying to help her to be happy but it ultimately doesn't work out because Ashley is Ashley is a bit promiscuous and throughout the story is shown to just be playful with the men that she engages with and ultimately leaves them all. So at the very end of this book, you have Jake and Ashley sitting in a cab together and they're talking about a life that could have been. And here's, here's what it says at the very end of The Sun Also Rises. Oh, Jake, Brett said, 
we could have had such a damned good time together. Ahead was a mounted policeman in khaki directing traffic. He raised his baton. The car slowed, suddenly pressing Brett against me. Yes, I said. Isn't it pretty to think so? I absolutely love that line. Because here we have Ashley trying to emotionally bypass the situation where she's, she's attempting to skip over the fact that, that they cannot be in a relationship and wondering what a wonderful time they would have together if he weren't impotent. She's almost saying that if you weren't, we could be a couple. If you weren't impotent, we could have this wonderful life. If you weren't impotent, our lives would be perfect. Then you have this, this subtle imagery of the policeman directing traffic ahead of them, raising his baton as if to say, stop that line of thought. And then you have Jake reply to her, isn't it pretty to think so? It is this real, raw reaction to her trying to emotionally bypass their situation. Where yes, it is pretty to think so. But that is not reality. And they cannot be together. There's also this implication that he recognizes that if he weren't impotent, there's no guarantee that she would treat him any differently than she treated the other men in the story. Isn't it pretty to think so? So let's bring this back to this concept of the afterlife and the concept of, of missing a loved one. People regularly say, oh, we'll see them again someday. Oh, they're in heaven now with God. Isn't it pretty to think so? That isn't to say that you can't believe in such a thing. But that does not address the real raw emotions that you experience in this life. That same phrase can be applied to losing a job, to having any number of disasters happening in your life, and someone saying to you, let's look for the silver lining, or it's a blessing in disguise, or I'm going to put your name on the prayer roll. Or, everything happens for a reason. Isn't it pretty to think so? All of these concepts, all of these methods that people use to bypass the emotions, they distance us from dealing with the trauma that we've gone through. Whether great or small, it's not healthy to ignore the feelings that we have. Now I want to talk about one more type of spiritual bypassing. And this, might, this may fall a little bit more into emotional bypassing, but there's a phrase that comes up regularly to people that have left the church that speak out against it or have left the church and continue to discuss it with their friends and family. When I chatted with my wife about starting this podcast, she also said this to me. She's active and believing. But here's the phrase. You've left the church, but you can't leave the church alone. Now this is an emotional bypass or a spiritual bypass, kind of depending on your perspective. But let's think about it from the perspective of the person saying it. 
I think it's interesting to note that they may be doing this as a way to emotionally bypass themselves. Instead of putting the, the culpability on the church for the things that people discuss and, and talk about, instead of putting the culpability on a leader that's made a mistake, they put it onto those that have left and say, you can't leave the church alone. Instead of addressing the real problems. This is a way to, to judge the person that's left the church as being angry or having a problem. And, and it's a way for them to, to ignore what is being actually said. It's a way to minimize what people are saying against the church. It's a thought-stopping technique. It's, it acts as a way for the person who says it to disengage with what's being said. And reframe it in a way where they no longer have to address the real criticisms of their belief system. I think it's a natural response to someone having a doubt and saying, oh, well, this doubt, it must come from somewhere, but I don't want to deal with that. And so I'm going to put it onto the person who's saying it instead of onto the person that they're criticizing. We've all heard the phrase, it's wrong to criticize the leaders of the church, even if the criticism is, is true from Dallin H. Oaks. This concept is also spiritually bypassing. If you say that it's wrong to criticize someone, even if it's true, it means that anytime you have a negative emotion, you're not allowed to feel it. Anytime you disagree with a leader of the church, you're not allowed to engage with those thoughts. And any time we push away our emotions and don't feel them and address them, that will cause problems for our mental health. And I want to discuss a possible way to respond to this sort of a comment. Relating this idea back to Ernest Hemingway and back to Jake's response to Ashley, isn't it pretty to think so? The way that I emotionally interpret this and the way that I emotionally react to it is, isn't it pretty to ignore the real criticisms? Isn't it pretty to ignore the valid criticism that I mentioned? And at its core, that's what the phrase does. When people say, oh, you're just criticizing the church, or oh, you've become an anti-Mormon. That's a way for them to disengage what's actually being said. It's a way for them to, to emotionally distance themselves from it and say, oh, this is an anti-Mormon thing, and I don't need to engage with it. Instead of the healthier response of looking into it, and determining if it's valid or invalid. And I'm, I'm okay with that response. If someone looks into all of the issues, if someone looks into the historicity problems and comes out on the other side believing, that is okay. There are other things, such as the stance on LGBTQ plus members, that I, I don't really see another valid response than, than loving them. But for the most part, engaging with the hard things to view as a member of the church can be healthy 
and should be a way to either strengthen their testimony or see if if their testimony is really based on anything that's valid. When members of the church say, oh, you just can't leave it alone, that's them shutting their minds off. That's them disengaging with the criticism. It's almost emotionally bypassing themselves. They've been confronted with this difficult thing to think about or reconcile. And instead of actually addressing these emotions and addressing the contradictions, they instead label it as anti and ignore it. So how should we address when someone emotionally bypasses us or says, you can't leave the church alone? Or why do you keep talking about it? If you left it, leave it for good. On one hand, it is a valid question. Why speak up? Why, why run a podcast like this where I talk about the church and I talk about theology and morality and, and relate it to Mormonism? Why? Why do that at all if I don't believe anymore? Why stand up for the LGBTQ plus community and talk out against the church for their policies on, on such things? If I've left the organization, then my motive might be different than other people's. But I still love the Mormon church. It will always hold a special place in my heart. I had some wonderful experiences growing up and being a part of it. I met some wonderful people, many that are still lifelong friends of mine, and I anticipate continuing to be lifelong friends. My overall experience with it was not bad, even though I did experience very real trauma and very real emotional and spiritual abuse. So why talk out? Well, I love the church, and there are people that belong to the church that I love. And there are children I see being raised in the church that I don't want to experience the same trauma that I experienced. But I also, on an intellectual level, I love discussing philosophy and theology. And I love doing it with people that think differently than I do. I don't want it to be an echo chamber where I only discuss my ideas with people that agree with me every single time. How can I know when I'm wrong if I don't talk to someone who disagrees with me? How could I know if my logic is flawed, if no one ever pushes back? How can I know the conclusions I make are right if I never discuss them with someone who concluded something different than I did, if I don't examine it from all angles? And this goes with every aspect of our lives. And I think the same thing is valid for members of the church. If they never listen to someone who disagrees with them, they can't truly know that they believe what they believe. And perhaps there's nothing wrong with believing in most everything in the church and disagreeing with a thing or two. But how will they know if some of their logic is flawed if they don't engage with someone who's willing to talk to them in an open and safe way? The whole reason that I'm creating this podcast is I want to create a safe space where the ideas that I present and the things that I discuss they are done so in a manner that a believer and a non-believer can listen and engage and start a discussion. Now, emotional bypassing is something that happens both in religion and outside of religion. 
but in a religious setting, if we can remove this aspect of the theology and the everyday practices of the religion, how much healthier adults will the church produce? Saying that someone can't leave the church alone or saying that they're not allowed to speak out against the harmful systems is decidedly living in ignorance and willfully ignoring the views of other people. We have all been wrong about many things in our lives. And what is the only way where we learned that we were wrong? It's not by listening to people that agreed with us. It's by listening to people that disagreed with us and then presenting their ideas for us to consider and ponder. And if you don't create a space where you can actually thoughtfully consider a position, you can't say that you truly believe whatever your stance is. If you don't consider what the opposition says, how can you truly believe what you say? You can't. In my opinion, you can't. For someone to say, I believe that Joseph Smith restored the gospel on earth, but this person does not know the history of it, doesn't know how it happened, doesn't know the context of it. They can't really know the thing. And that doesn't mean that they're not going to come to the same conclusion on the other side. That doesn't mean that after they're looking into the treasure digging or looking into the convictions and the, the fraud, that they won't come to a conclusion that he was a flawed man doing his best, that it is still God's restored church. And that's okay. Because I looked at the evidence and decided something different doesn't mean that every person has to agree with me. What it all breaks down to with this idea of not being allowed to discuss the church after you've left is, is an unwillingness to consider someone else's perspective. That's all it is. The person that says this is unwilling to grapple with the idea that someone has made a different conclusion than they have. And they do not want to engage with it. Now, many people will say, oh, it's because we evangelize against the church because we were taught to evangelize for the church. You know, if you love your neighbor, you'll speak out and, and, and preach the gospel of Christ. That's, that's one, of the, one of the core tenets of missionary work. And when people leave, they still have that drive to share the truth with other people. That's also a valid motivation. Wherever you land on the belief spectrum after doing research and learning about the history of the church, is your choice. Perhaps the next time that someone engages with us in this emotional bypassing or spiritual bypassing, we'll see through it for what it is. Perhaps take comfort in the idea of a purpose behind everything, if you are a faithful person. Perhaps take comfort in the idea that there might be an afterlife and you might see this person again. But I want to discourage people from disengaging with their emotions. Feel your emotions. Feel the sadness, the anger, the frustration. On the believing spectrum, feel, feel the, the hurt of a loved one leaving the church. That is, that is painful and valid. On the other side of the spectrum, the pain of, of loved ones misunderstanding you is also valid. I know that my family and loved ones grieved and are still grieving the fact that I left the church. These very raw emotions should bind us together, 
But instead, oftentimes we we use these platitudes and we we push our emotions aside and we don't engage with them. Instead of focusing on the fact that we love this person that left or stayed, we focus on the fact that they're different than us. The last thing I want to talk about is a Buddhist concept that I think fits right into this. In the Four Noble Truths, the Buddha talks about, in the second truth, he's trying to determine what the cause of suffering is. He describes the cause of suffering as wanting the world to be different than it is. And there's a lot of ways we can interpret this and discuss this, and and honestly, this one phrase could be countless podcast episodes dissecting all of the meaning in that, that simple phrase. Suffering comes from wanting the world to be different than it is. My loved ones that are sad that I left the church are suffering because they want the world to be different than it is. They're suffering because they want the world to go back to how it was where I was still a member. They're suffering because I am not who they want me to be. And on the, on the other side of the spectrum, for me, when I first made this transition, I wanted my wife to follow me down this pathway but she didn't. And it caused me suffering that she did not, she did not listen to me. But this idea gave me the opportunity to learn about real love. And what I mean by that is loving a person for who they are without expectations. Loving my wife without the expectation that she will follow me down this path of religious deconstruction. And on the flip side, she had to learn to love me without the expectation that I would be a member of the church. And as we learned to love each other in a new way, our marriage was tremendously strengthened. In in very real ways, me leaving the church taught us how to love each other even more purely. Suffering comes from wanting the world to be different than it is. I hope that you've enjoyed today's episode. It is a concept that's very important to me. And it's something that we all deal with on a regular basis. This concept of emotionally bypassing or spiritually bypassing. When we engage with those around us, we need to recognize when we're not letting them feel their emotions. When we say things to them that aren't helpful. Let me suggest an alternative to when someone goes through a hard time. Instead of saying, it all happens for a reason, you could say, tell me how you're feeling. Invite the person to be vulnerable to you so that you can give them a space to share their thoughts without the expectation that they have to put on a mask and pretend that they're happy even though something bad happened. May we all strive to live our lives in a way where we are emotionally healthy and emotionally healthy enough to to allow other people to express their emotions to us. This is not a skill I learned in the Mormon church, but it is one that I desperately want my Mormon friends and family to learn. As I'm saying this, I'm, I'm reminded of the countless times growing up where I was not allowed to feel my emotions or express them 
and how damaging that was. Growing up, both in the church and in my immediate family, we never talked about our hardships or trials or problems. We ignored them. Through both my family and my religious experience, I was taught to suppress sad emotions and suppress anger and suppress grief. And it did not help me. I could give many examples, but I think this subject is something that that we'll discuss in another episode. Today, I wanted to focus on emotional bypassing. Perhaps this, this concept of spiritual bypassing is the example where every problem has a phrase or rote response that does not allow the person to feel their emotions. Thank you for listening today. If the content of this podcast is something that you enjoy, please rate it. Leave a comment. Let me know how you feel. There's a Facebook page, Remyemptum Ruminations, can, where we can have a discourse on, on the episode. You can give your examples and we can talk about the things that you're going through. I hope to create a safe space for people to discuss openly with believers and non-believers that we might all grow together. As always, I hope that you have an excellent day. Okay.